Welcome to our new podcast, Discovering Community Psychology, a podcast hoping to make community psychology ideas and practice more accessible. Throughout our first mini-series, we'll be speaking with numerous psychology professionals about their work, highlighting and celebrating variety and the impact of their positive practice, influenced by community psychology ideas and values. Welcome back to the Discovering Community Psychology podcast. I'm Izzy, I'm a clinical psychologist working in a community psychology service in London and I'm co-hosting today with... I'm Yasmin, I'm a trainee clinical psychologist and also joining us tonight we have members of our group who will be listening along and asking questions in the chat for us to ask to our guests. So we're really, really excited to welcome two brilliant guests uh, onto our podcast today. We've got Annie Mitchell and Rachel Patel. Thank you so much for coming along and giving up your time. Um, We wondered if you could just start with um, introducing yourselves and your work and how you came to know each other. So I'm I'm a a clinical psychologist and I trained at Exeter University in the days when Jim Orford was was one of the programme directors there. And so community psychology was the bread and butter. It was kind of like... This is how things happen. Uh, it had a psychodynamic orientation as well, but it, I just took for granted my earlier academic history had been had been similar. And when I finished training, I I, um, I went on maternity leave. And while I was on maternity leave, I did a project with with um, two colleagues that Rachel knows well, Tom McCausland and Gerald Conningham, who were doing some some project work about about management training and getting um, patient and public involvement influential in senior management training in the NHS and they appointed me to be facilitator for their um for their for that group for that advisory group it was a very formative experience for me uh, just working in partnership with people with all sorts of different backgrounds as carers as people with learning disabilities as people with head injuries um uh, people with mental health difficulties working I, I was working to serve them um and when I after that, when I first got my job as an academic, so, um, it felt like that was a platform for me to use my position to bring people together. And um, in the really early days of starting my job at, at, on the D-Clin at Exeter, I just sort of, I can't remember, did we have emails in those days? I'm not sure. No. <laughs> I, didn't. I just phoned my friends who were, you know, Gerald and Tom and other radical um practitioners that I knew of and said here's a chance to get user involvement and it could be could be user involvement in research because that's what academics are supposed to do and uh, that was how focus got started as a network of people who were interested in in knowledge as power and trying to engage people in the shaping of of health and social care knowledge and it it was it just took off it just hit a, a note that was right at the time with some really Tom and Gerald were fantastic colleagues eh Rachel uh, and it ran for about a year, and then the person who took had taken on the coordinating role had to leave, and so we advertised, and we had some really good applicants, and we had external people on the on the panel, and 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 I can really vividly remember Beck Hanley saying, going through doing doing the shortlisting, and Rachel was at the top of the pile, but Beck said, I think she might be a bit too radical for you guys in the southwest. <laughs> And so I think that followed you around, didn't it, Rachel? That you were you were invited to push us and to be more radical. I think there was a real sense that the Southwest 
compared to maybe London or, or Liverpool was a little bit conservative with that we know slow in our ways I don't know how, Rachel how would you frame it when you came here after you've done your your disability studies masters I mean I I, I came from Surrey which isn't terribly radical but I'd come from um, working uh, for a user-led organization about um, involving service users people that use care services or um, local authority services and we were a user-led organization and so we we did lots of making the commissioners stand up in front of the people that they made decisions about and actually be accountable and things like that and then and that again sorry it was radical what we did was really radical but at the same time I had been studying um social model disability for my MA in disability studies and then the, the focus job sort of brought both of those bits together because my it was emancipatory research ideas around and people taking hold of the research agenda and, and being fully in, in control and in charge of what research looked like. And if it was about them, then they wanted to say what it looked like and, and what happened. But it was also about academia or about healthcare. And it, it was about sort of service provision and you know how we make those those. Uh, decisions, how academia makes helps us make those decisions. So it was kind of a real coming together. And I think, I think, in in many ways, I think we ended up being more radical here in the southwest. I mean, we I think we very much, and I think you can still see it now in the research agenda within the universities in the southwest. I, I don't know about the other ones, but we are still radical in that we have some really thick stuff around involving people about that being an accepted way of doing things and about how important that is. But I think there was a parochial kind of view of the way Devon did things, particularly local authority and things like that. It was, well, we don't do it like that in Devon. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, Devon's got, you know, rural and, and urban areas, just like everywhere else. You know, people, people have the similar issues wherever they are. You know, they, they, you know, they might be, you know, we might have bigger areas of rurality or, or, or urbanisation or whatever. But actually, the one thing I, I've named through, I, I've, probably work with nearly all different people throughout my whole career and one thing I know is that actually people people come together over their issues and issues are very similar even if they're treated separately and it's like so I think that one of the key things with what we did with focus and I think it is one of the key things that I brought to it was we didn't ever have people because of a diagnosis or a condition or a a use of service we just had our our members and it, they were everyone and we brought people together across a whole range of things and of course there were times when we talked about diabetes so it's obviously about people that had diabetes and we talked about um people that use mental health services but there were also quite big things where you know our, i think our conferences were I mean, they were one of the most radical mixed group of people I have ever seen. I mean, they were just, and, and even for Devon, actually, we were really kind of, they, they, we really had a mix of people. And I think that that was one of the things that we brought people together through experience as opposed to labels or diagnosis and things like that. And I think that that was one of the things that I think community psychology speaks of that, that, you know, we are a community rather than, 
than a group of people with labels or a group of people with, you know, we, we are a community. And I think that that was a really key thing that we did through Focus. And I don't think that answers the question I was just asked at all. But anyway. <laughs> I think it's been really nice to hear about a little bit about your journeys with this type of work and, and what's felt important in it and the impact that you've been able to have as well. I know that you've also written some things together. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about that and what the process has been like? The first thing we worked on together was the chapter uh, in the, um, the clinical psychology textbook that Laura Golding... Oh, did Laura? No, that was from the Oxford programme. It was the Oxford programme that put that together. It was Sue Llewellyn. That wasn't the Helen first Bergman. thing we wrote together, Annie. The was first thing we wrote together was an attempted history. We wrote that um, first chapter about focus, and it was really painful oh my god it was so painful i pushed it out of my memory yeah you probably why did was it, it why was it painful because i think it was just i think we just have very different ideas all three of us about what we were trying to capture and i was really new and i wasn't quite sure what we were trying to capture at all and it, and it was just um it was just really quite painful it was um i've got it here somewhere it was and the actual publisher the, the editors were quite it was a lady, oh, I can't remember who she was, but she was quite difficult, and the whole thing was just dreadful. <laughs> but that was really <laughs> early on. It was really early on. <laughs> yes, well, and maybe we have, I mean, I think, I think, Rachel, you and I have got quite different approaches. I will tend to approach things quite conceptually, probably, a bit more, uh, and you will be much more practical. Uh, and bringing those two together is what is really good. I think that that uh, I, I, I'm interesting that I've totally forgotten about that blanked out something unsuccessful. Did it ever get published? I oh, know then, Rachel. Yeah, I've got the oh, book here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to remind me after this conversation. So, so, so the thing that I do remember is writing that chapter, and it was about it was a, a, a it was a textbook about how to do clinical psychology. Yeah, that was fun. That was and that fun was really room. fun, and, and that we, was because it was partly just because it was you and me sat around. Yeah, you know, we sat around my table and talked endlessly, which was really really nice. We were yeah, off yeah. the leash with it. Yeah, and we just co. It was definitely a co-creation, that wasn't it? And they'd asked us to talk about how to promote. I think it was about public involvement or participation in, um, uh, and we came up with some, and I, we were reminding ourselves of it. We came up with the top tips of how to, how to work in partnership. Um, and they were yours, Rachel, you, you created them. And, and, um, and we sort of tinkered with them a little bit together, but you know, and we wrote them down, didn't we, in preparation for today. So they were about if, to, to work in partnership effectively, be practical, be honest and realistic about what you can achieve together. Be thoughtful about your own impact. I think the thing about like, be thoughtful about how you dress, how you come across, how you talk, how you use your power. Um, yeah, um, don't assume you know the outcome, but if you're gonna work in partnership, you've gotta be open to it changing and evolving and not, not, being, not being predetermined. Um, this is another one of yours, Rachel. Well, they're all yours, really. But don't let anxiety get in the way of you being too controlling. And I think that was really nice that you framed it like that, because often professionals are too controlling. But it's not always that the partners that we're working with 
see it for what it is, that it sometimes is about anxiety, about trying to do it well. And I definitely recognize that in myself. I often be too controlling and it is anxiety that's pushing it. It's about wanting to get it right. Um, I've written them all down. Be ready to share your experiences, but only for the purposes of the task, not just for its own sake. So as professionals, we will come with shared life experiences that may or may not be pertinent to what you were teaching about, and what you're researching about, what you're practicing about. Be open, but don't dominate it. Um, does that capture it, Rachel? That bit? Um, be sociable. I mean, I think a lot of the good partnership work we've done has been about us all sitting around the table together as equals with sandwiches, eating, or just being being open and being being relaxed about the boundaries about what we're doing, as contrasted with the traditional, more psychotherapeutic approach to psychology, where you know you're in your you're in your consulting room. Uh, and you don't reveal yourself. You're not. You're not really an open, transparent human being. It's very contrasting with that. that, that. Be flexible. Close the loop. And again, it relates to the other point. Think of it as being organically evolving. Uh, did I capture them? Did they capture it, Rachel? I don't know whether you want to elaborate on any of those. Community psychology is different from being therapeutic though you can be therapeutic in the way you do things someone told me the other day that I'm very therapeutic as a human being which I thought was quite strange <laughs> but you, you can but it's if you are if you see yourself as part of a community that is trying to do something change something address something then you 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 do have to not have that bubble and and that the bubble is important. It really matters. I mean, I, I, I have this conversation a lot about, you know, actually, you know, I, I don't particularly want my orthopedic surgeon to be my best friend. I, I want him to be really competent. And if that makes him a bit, sorry, he is male, unfortunately, but well, fortunately, whatever. But, um, but you know, it, it, you know, I, you know, I want to get on with him and I have a relationship with him because I see him a lot. But I don't. I don't want to be his best friend. I don't want to be on the operating table and him thinking about me in such a human way. He doesn't know what to do. I, you know, I. I don't want that. I want that um, enough professional distance for him to know what he's doing and to and to feel confident and and to not be compromised by that. But there's a place for that, and there's a place for something that is much more about doing things together. And I think that the thing that we the thing that we did when we worked together and we still do, but in now in sort of slightly different ways is we kind of took researchers out of their, their ivory towers of being researchers and made them out like human beings, even though they, they weren't, don't get me wrong, they were nice human beings, but you know, they, they sort of, you know, it's almost like, you, you know, there are people that walk into rooms and they turn on the bit about, I am now this and I am now that. And, and there's something there's something important about that. We all do it a bit, particularly if we're having to present or whatever. I know I do it myself. You know, I go into the mode that I need to do to deliver the thing I'm going to do. But if you're talking about being part of the community that is working together and community psychology is about the shared issues, the shared, you know, yes, we as psychologists, we have a position where we might be able to help people from a psychological point of view, look at the issues, but we're doing that 
within the community that we are working with. We're, we're doing that with the, the actually we are not removed from that. We're not stepped outside of that. We are part of that. And I think what we did and what the research culture has become much more because of the work and others, lots of others did as well, is that, you know, you, you're in this together. And yes, you might be a researcher with a task that you want to that you know you, you've got an interest in looking at it but that means that you have some responsibility for what that means to the people that you're working with and you have to allow yourself at some level to become part of it not to become so part of it you can't do the things that you need to do you know if you're the one in charge of money or whatever you have to be able to say right we have this amount of time we have this much money and we need to do this just like if you're trying to involve people in your clinical psychology doctorate you have to be able to deliver your doctorate you're not going to do anybody any good by involving people in such a great way that you're not going to pass your doctorate and no one's going to publish what you do and no one's going to want what you do. That's not going to help anybody. So th there's a balance between those two things. And it seems to me from the little I know about um, community psychology is that, that that's the thing that it challenges us to do, to work out where we are in the middle of all of those things, the, the, the therapeutic professional bit and the part of being inside the community with other people. And it, it feels like it's it's really that, that it really challenges us to do. And it, we, we, when, when Annie and I talked the other day, we were talking about um, sort of where things have resonance. We did, I didn't use that word. I can't remember what word I used in the end, but where you have resonance with other, other things. And for me, the research world, it, it was the disability emancipatory research approach where, you know, the people that need to have the power in the research are the people that experience the issues or your allies. And it seems to me that the allies thing is just, it, it's a very similar thing to community psychology where you are allied to the issues that you're looking at. And that's very much the same as the emancipatory ideas around disability research for disabled people. It, it, those, they all have sort of resonance and they all have um, sort of synergy with each other. And so the ideas become it all it all sort of you're not explicit in the way that you're doing things you don't I don't I've never explicitly gone I'm now doing community psychology I'm now doing emancipatory research partly because nobody would have listened to me if I had but I took all of those things and I went wow you know Mr Professor whatever your name is if you want to do a piece of research about these people, what you could do is go and have a chat with them about what research question they would really like you to be answering. That would be really good. And all of those things sat behind all of that advice that I would give without me explicitly going, well, you have to have this approach. And, and I think that's really, I think that's kind of the synergy of those things become really important. Well, word synergy is really nice. Rachel, and, and the other word that you used, the word when we spoke about it, you used the phrase, the unspoken, unspoken alignments. Yeah, uh, and you were, you were, um, you were saying that the, the social model of disability as well is very aligned with community psychology, and we wouldn't necessarily have been explicitly pointing that out. And um, 
but 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 that emphasis on the bigger picture, that emphasis on how power works, and that emphasis on any of us as individuals, we we don't have unfettered access to power and influence. It comes through the relationships and the position that we have in the world and the circumstances that we're exposed to. And so um, there's a real alignment between the social model of disability and, and community pathology. But we did spread it down. And part of the conversation we had this week was about whether we should have spelt it out a little bit more, whether the, whether we were a little bit too humble about what... Because I, I used this this phrase to Rachel that colleagues of mine have said, it's amazing what you can achieve if you don't have to claim credit for it. And I think we were quite, we didn't claim a huge amount of credit, did we, Rachel, for what we did, even though we were culture changing, culture shifting in a really big way, I think, locally, regionally and nationally. But we didn't hammer it home. And I think in the end, your feeling was we maybe should have hammered it home a little bit. We did it without proclaiming it yeah I think I, I'm, I don't I don't think I'm ever very modest to be honest <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I've been modesty really <laughs> I think I've, I've had to battle and fight my way to the position that I've got to so for so many that I don't modesty is not something I necessarily do but I think but I think I when I'm um, I, I think so much of what so much of what we do by involving people, creating the conditions to give people a voice and to facilitate more than just having a voice, but to, for that voice to have an impact and to be used in some way. Because I think I I get quite frustrated, Annie, you'll know I get quite frustrated when sort of people that sort of you know that they've used services whenever and you know 20 years ago and they're still being wheeled in to say the same story and 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 there's nothing wrong with that if that's what people want but for me the the reality of involving people or engaging people is that they get to tell their story and that becomes useful and used with them in a way that means that to a certain degree, they get to leave it behind. They get to go fishing or bungee jumping or, you know, train spotting or, you know, let's go out to dinner with friends. Do we all remember when we could do that? That seems like forever ago. But, you know, that people can move on from where they are. And, and I think there's a real danger that we hold on to people because it's easy. And I think for me, one of the reasons we didn't sort of, you know, we, we I think at the height we were, you know, before everything was online and everything, we were advising something like 300 projects a year. And I think one of the reasons we didn't ask them to slap our name all over advised by and, you know, information came from, because I, I never, I never thought that was what we were trying to do. And I, and in some ways, academia, particularly, and research does require the recognition and does require the, the kind of claiming of the knowledge. But I always thought I was doing something that or we were doing something that was about social justice, about sharing power. Um, and, and it was about, um, it was about recognizing we needed research um, um, expertise 
but we needed that to be well used with the people that it should be about. So we did need research. It wasn't about saying we don't need them. But, but and I think that that's why we didn't. I don't think it was about modesty for me. It was about I kind of thought I was doing something that was bigger than me and bigger than the the the, the world. That that you know I I wanted an input. I wanted a change. And my view was. If you could share this with as many people as possible that can do this in a way that we're talking about, um, you know, that, that you know, we didn't need to claim it, that, that it was fine. It did backfire a bit because actually what happened was lots of people nicked our ideas and then we got all our funding and we lost all our funding and they all got those recognition of funding. But that's kind of the way academia works to a certain degree. And, I was maybe naive about some of that stuff, and I, I did. We we were actually a very small project, even though we had a big impact. We were actually we weren't even full time, were we? We didn't even have full time staff, and so um, and so I and I tended to be a bit well. I can either do it or I can write about it, but I don't actually have the time or the money to do both of these things at the same time. And that was probably a bit of a mistake. Um, though we did, I mean, we did win the um, we did win the um uh um involvement impact award for um public engagement for the university which you know is, is on record we won that in i think it was um 2013 or 14 so we you know we won that you know we were recognized but we perhaps we perhaps didn't broadcast what we did as much but it was actually quite hard to capture what we did as well yeah. because we kind of did whatever anybody wanted us to do we would like yeah. physically go and help with stuff or we would advise and actually when sometimes when people came to us and said right I've got these ideas about how to involve people in my research project and it looks like this and I was going to do this and I was going to pay them that and I was going to do that and I'd be like you're fine you don't need us <laughs> go 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 do go do you really don't need us and and so I think that that was the other thing is that we weren't we weren't deaf we wanted people to do it we didn't want them to do it in our way or our way we just wanted them to do it we wanted them to do it well and well was always going to be contingent on who they wanted to work with or who they were trying to work with or who wanted the research done mm -hmm. I mean we did you know we we taught people who were never done research who were service users predominantly how to interview and how to undertake a piece of research and how to do a piece of research, how to write an ethics application how to do all sorts of things so you know there wasn't a thing that we had to promote because we were like well we'll do whatever you need us to do which also mm -hmm. made it challenging because people would be well what do you do it's like well we change the world that will get, or at least our little corner of it you know mm -hmm. we do that in terms of research will that do and they're like well no we don't understand it's like yeah. okay <laughs> and then and you know so you know yeah sorry i'm just rabbiting really well i think that uh, the links back to what community psychology is as well and trying to get that across to people because it isn't a thing it's not a model that you can you, that you can operationalize in the way that you can maybe some of the psychology models like systemic therapy or in, or, or cognitive behavior therapy it's not it's not a thing it's it's a set of values and it's a way of being in the world um and i think that that's the way focus was you and 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 then um and then others that are involved with the project being in a world that's respectful that's about 
shifting the balance of power that is asking who's, I mean, the first conference we ran was called Who's Whose Research Is It Anyway? And we invited people from the whole of the Southwest, anybody we knew who was doing research that was being done in partnership. And we had our, Russell Hamilton, was, who's the de director of research then for the Southwest region came. Um, and he was just open mouthed. He rang me the next morning and said, I've not slept all night. You've really woken a fire about, about my understanding how things can be done differently. And Russell went on to be head of National Institute for Health Research and the NIHR programme nationally was very, very influential in articulating explicitly that we must have true, proper, respectful partnership with people who are affected by the issues that we're trying to research. He really, it was like, it was like a, uh, road to Damascus moment for Russell. I think that might even have been the phrase that he used. And he stayed as a really strong admirer of you, Rachel, in particular, but of the work that we did together. So in that sense, it's culture changing what we were doing in a, in a very... Um, and he, he, as you said, Danny, he went on to be a, a very big name. He's retired now, but... And he... We got him down to one of our much later conferences, and um, he said, "As long as I don't have to, I'll come. As long as I don't have to do an urgent response to a minister before a government minister before, but I will come." And um, and I remember telling somebody that he was going to come and chair our conference, and they they didn't believe me because they were like, "But he he's really important." I was like, "Yeah, we know." <laughs> but he um, but one of the things that one thing that I really took from Russell as well, that there was a way of involving people, sharing power, but the research still had to be rigorous and robust and meet all the academic standards. And it, and it was a really powerful thing for me because I, 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 I absolutely, so I balanced all the things that I said about involving people with the fact that we've still got to produce really good, high quality, robust and rigorous research. And I think that that was one of our really important things is that we, we weren't, we, we were saying this still has to be good, this still has to be of a quality that, we, because otherwise involving people makes no difference. If it's not something that is going to, I mean, we can argue about whether research makes a difference in, in the bigger scheme of things and how long it takes to have an impact and things. But what was absolutely true, that involving people in, in something that was going to be seen as poor quality or not worthy of publication or whatever it might be, whatever, would not move things on for people, wasn't actually going to work. So it was all the good things about involving people on top of the quality and, and the importance of it being rigorous and robust. And I think that that is where we were quite radical in difference because we, we held... I always felt like I was holding both positions of being some, I mean, I had a degree and I, I was a, you know, I was, I was a research fellow, well, you know, a typical academic by any shape, size or, or road that I'd got there on. And I always felt that I held that sort of really middle ground. But And, and you know, I've been a sober person all my life as well. But I always felt like I held that sort of really interesting middle ground it, where, where people would say, well, we want a patient representative and they need to be this, this and this. And I'd go, well, you wouldn't want me then, would you? And they go, 
what? And I go, well, if you're going to have a list of things and actually nobody is representative of anybody in the end, unless you voted for them in some competition. And it was all sorts of things like that, that I kind of got to challenge from this, from a, a sort of based an inside and outside perspective. And I'm still not entirely sure where I sit in any of it, but I, I, it doesn't bother me because I don't feel the need to fit in anywhere anymore. But, and I think that those were really, really important issues about, you know, the quality, the rigorousness, but still involving people, still changing how we did it, still changing the culture and being challenging of the culture. And, and you know, we and we were like, I mean, I think I think somebody else, it was it, um, John Turkey said, you're gonna light a touch paper to the, you know, this this whole because these were this what Annie was just describing was actually before I joined Focus, before I came here. But I think she I, th I think, you know, the other thing that we used to get asked a lot was, so I'll never forget one researcher sort of phoned me up and said, right, tell me why I should involve people. And I was like, well, okay, why don't you involve some people and then tell me why you need to involve them? Because if I could answer that question for you, you wouldn't need to involve anybody. That is exactly the point. I can't tell you why you need to involve them because I don't know what the issues are for them. But what I can tell you is when you do go and talk to some people, you will know the answer to that and you could come and tell me, how about that? And they went, oh, okay, I kind of understand now. And it, and it was kind of like, and it, in some ways that's such a simple ex example, but it's so true, it's like, people wanted a blueprint and it's like there isn't one you have mm -hmm. to work with the people that there are some really good practice things that really matter creating the conditions really matter are you going to pay people can they get in the building in the days when we're allowed to go into buildings you know have you thought about what their needs are going to be in a proactive way those things you need to do first but what actually happens once you've got all those things no, none of us can tell you because we, that group of people won't be the group of people from the other project that was looking at this and things like that. So the synergy and, and the dynamic of all of that will make a difference. And again, I think communities, the way community psychology works is that recognition of, you know, we, we, we come together in a way that is unique, but is shared. And, and it's, it's that balance of, unique and being shared that, that I think is where really good involvement just just becomes something so much bigger than the sum of the parts really. I, I was thinking about a definition of community psychology that some people that we'd worked with at the university had come up with in the very early days I can't remember the exact wording but it was to do with the fact that when you work in that way that Rachel's just described when you're respectful of people's perspectives when you just are curious and open and you work with people's strengths, then you need less energy. It's easier to, 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 to make things good, to create a healthy environment, to enable people to learn. You use less energy. And I think, you know, in terms of sustainability, um, that is really important. And I think what Russell Hamilton recognised right from the off when we first started talking to him was, if you do that, the quality of the research will necessarily be better because you will have considered what sort of questions you should ask, how should you frame it, how best to recruit people, how to, how 
how you won't damage people in the process yeah. of what you're doing and yeah, you know, yeah. that's you know that's a really important you know how, how you you know you get the best information in the best way in a way that people are going to want to give you that information are going to want to talk to you or want to co-create it with you because they're not going to feel like it's been imposed on them which or that they've been exploited i mean i think mm. there is a sense in which some aspects of the way we've done research in the past as comparable with them with the imperialism you know in that people are exploited and knowledge has been extracted from them in a way they've just been abused really and in some cases in 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 extractive research as opposed to participatory research where it's a shared endeavor and you've all got a stake in what the product is and that the the outcome being something that is about improving the world rather than making a career uh for the the researcher and, and actually you know in in terms of sort of difficulty and emancipatory research i mean some of the most important things about that and you know was actually you know the, the Paul Hunt and the um certainly in the accounts of the parasitic people which, which is you know they I mean it was you know it was in the 60s when researchers went into residential care home basically to not to actually gather new information but just to actually say yeah these people should stay here and this should be fine and and you know this even though they were living in terrible circumstances which sort of kicked off part of the whole sort of emancipatory research but but if you I mean I'm, one of my first and I'm in no way an expert on any of this stuff but you know my first essay when I was um, doing my MA was a comparison about the way sort of you know science has been used to um you know support slavery you know the the you know the the using mustard seeds to um to measure the skulls of black people to say that their skulls were smaller so of course it was all right for slavery and you know and I know you know we you know wouldn't dream of doing any of that these days but you know at the time they were credible research methods that were being used but to support something absolutely awful you know you know beyond awful and 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 so you know they're saying that the resonance about sort of balancing the power back in certainly research becomes so powerful when you remember that, that you know they are the places where science and and you know when it's used badly I mean we all know when science is used badly how awful it can be and the history of eugenics that underpins yeah absolutely you know the Murray and you know and even sort of you know the really sort of interesting stuff with you know complicated stuff like you know Murray Stapes you know women's rights and all the rest of it she disinherited her son for marrying somebody who wore glasses I mean you know because she was a eugenicist you know so it's like okay that's really complicated because you know I absolutely believe in a woman's right to choose and all the rest of it on the other hand stuff around sort of disabled people and you know how many weeks are you know you get to terminate out and things like that because you know they, they're incredibly complex and difficult issues that if we don't get to take some control of some of that research ideas and, and those conversations then we really are in quite a lot of trouble because they're, they're, they're you know that they can things are not quite as simple as often they are portrayed to be are they ever and, and you know it is, anyway sorry i think i've gone off on one person <laughs> well, the scientific method is not neutral the, sci no. the, 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 the 
we've got to be able, and that, that was when we wrote that chapter for Helen Baynard for that book, they were, we were looking at what are the competencies as well for community psychologists and critical reflection was one of them, being able to unpick an argument and a position and look how the balance of power was being, being um, managed and negotiated through that and to try and shift it in the favour of shifting the power towards those who've, who've got less influence. Um, networking, as Rachel was saying earlier on, just trying to work in a way that is bringing in as many different and varied voices and joining the dots between different groups and different, different, different interests. And um, what was that? And facilitation, trying to run meetings and organise things in a way, well, like you guys are doing, in a way that you've just opened a, a very open, nice question and you're encouraging us to, to express ourselves. That's really good community psychology and practice, giving us the platform or giving, giving Rachel the platform and us a chance. So it was those competencies as well that we maybe didn't necessarily explicitly articulate, but we'd come back to their very different competencies, perhaps to the, ther to the therapeutic ones that we would normally um, have on a programme curriculum. I mean, when I first came to work, with Annie for, Annie for Annie, Annie was my boss. When I first came to work, I think the idea of Focus was that it was a network of people, researchers, um, people that worked in various services and predominantly service users, carers, um, patients who, you know, and if we, but one thing that I, I thought really early on and I kind of forced on everyone around it was that, bringing people together wasn't going to be enough if we wanted to change your research culture, that we were going to have to blow open some of the systems as well at really quite high levels. We were going to have to look at some of the difficult systems like finance systems, like um, systems of who got to say things. And, and you'd already done a bit of that by having the first um, the first research uh, grant given somebody who predominantly wasn't a researcher and that had happened just before I came. But what was really clear is that just bringing people together to talk and understand wasn't going to change the systems that would be in the way. And actually, I kind of recognised that really early on. And one of the first things actually I did with Katrina, who then became the, the Focus Co. Um, um, applicant after Annie stood back was um was to write um a grant a grant process for research grants that wasn't aimed at researchers it was aimed at lay people it's aimed at people that weren't researchers it was aimed at service users carers and and um, patients so that they could actually use small part uh, pots of money to do their own research that we supported them to do and that was really challenging because we had to make it work with the university systems but we had to make it accessible enough to um to, to actually um you know be, be useful to people and I, I'll, I'll never forget when, when we did it um to begin with the university then had to contract with people that we'd given the money to and I ended up having to write a friendly version of the re of the contract for the university the university's contract so that people understood it and I remember sending it off to the contract people and said well I'm, I'm sending this with the contract because I've still got to sign the one that's really difficult to understand and I said but I'm sending this as well and I remember the woman say oh 
oh, this is brilliant. Can we use it? Because actually it'd be really helpful to everybody because it actually makes it really understandable what our contracts say, even though you still had to sign the one with all the legal jargon and everything. And it was just, it was things like that that, you know, it, it was kind of like a whole system approach. It, it was really important to challenge, or even if we weren't challenging it, but to, um, to get the people that worked in those systems to understand okay, we might still need the really jargony one, but we can also do something to make it easier. We can do something alongside it. And it was really important to do things like that, to just get something that made it easier to use, to make the systems easier to use. And I, I think that that's, I, I don't know enough about community psychology to know, but that there were points where, you know, if your community is not, getting what it needs there will be a system in place that is getting in its way and and it it's how you challenge that i think becomes really really interesting and i think and it's not always a question of you know fighting it it's a question of why i spent a lot of time doing was trying to have exactly the similar conversations with researchers about why they should involve people but i would have those conversations with the system people as well because i was like this is why we're trying to do this this is what will make it better this is what we're trying to do you know to the point where you know we used to end up with finance directors sat with us and i'd be going look this is what we're trying to deliver this is what this looks and i'd be going oh no that makes total sense we really like that and actually we ended up with all i mean i when i left i ended up with our finance people coming to my leaving deep which i think is probably unheard of when you're actually an academic as opposed to a finance person but because we you know with that there were all the different bits that we had to bring with us not not fight with but try and bring with us i mean obviously we fought with them when we had to but it was actually much better to bring them with us as much as we could and i tried really hard to do that and i think we succeeded in many ways we did well, you were you were being a translator, weren't you, or, a, or a, 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 an ambassador across across divides? That, and, and that's another aspect of the networking thing, wasn't it? Seeing things, trying to see things from all perspectives, and coming together that, with a product and a process that was for the common good rather than that was blind in some respect. Yeah. But I only got to do that, Annie, because you started it in the first place. Well, <laughs> the other thing, but for me, coming back to where, where I got to know about community psychology, I remember reading an article really early, probably in my first year of training that Jim Orford got us to read. And it was, um, it was um, a, an article in the American psychologist called Help is Where You Find It. And it was really debunking the idea that experts know the answers in psychology and that actually, very often, the people who, who provide the help are the everyday people, the bartenders or the hairdressers, or the, that that's where the skill, the psychological skill, we're all psychologists, that was always my philosophy, that everybody in life is a psychologist, we have to be in order to get on with one another. And as, as official psychologists, as, as regulated psychologists, our job should be sometimes to get out of the way. And certainly I felt that working with you, my job often was to stand back. And in the end, I did stand back completely and somebody else took on the project. But, but I think that's a good thing to know when to step back uh, and, 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 and allow people who've got more knowledge and more skills and more insight and outside. Um, and I think that's an important part of community psychology, knowing when to stop. Yes, 
speaking of which, we've um, we've gone on for ages. So yes, <laughs> do you want to go back to our questions? <laughs> no, it's it's been really wonderful just sitting and and hearing the two of you speak, and there were just so many um, wonderful pieces of advice and wisdom within the conversation between you that that we can all take away. And I really particularly liked the, just hearing how it sounds as though so much of the work that you've done together has just been about kind of being together and being with other people. Mm, um, about relationships, isn't it? And 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 um, going with the synergy when the relationships work and trying to work around them when they're when they're more clunky as well. <laughs> yeah. And and actually, I mean, you know, Annie, we we've worked with some incredibly difficult people as well, to the point where I'd be like, yeah, I'll do this, but I'm not doing anything afterwards because this person drives me completely insane. And and I remember once being so, well, why did you get them? Why did you suggest that they should be involved then? And I'm like, because it's not my job to, to say who should be involved on the basis of who I like. It's my job to involve people because they have, you know, they 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 need to be involved. They they have a voice that needs to be heard. And that engaging it. Yeah. And, 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 and for them, engaging it and for the process, that openness of involvement is transformative. It is about loosening up the system so that it is more open and inclusive. Uh, and sometimes that's going to be difficult. And sometimes you're going to have conflict and we have to have find ways of, of managing that. And sometimes we'll make mistakes and get it wrong and people will feel excluded and we'll have to work to repair it. And that is life. Um, and there are things that as psychologists we can bring to that about understanding how human relationships work and being being um, yeah, being reflective and being being um, and drawing in, drawing in people for, for people as mentors or as as um as guides or knowing where the different expertises are that we can't all be everything to everyone but I think Rachel was was describing that as well we've all got different skills and competencies and expertise and it's it's trusting those and and making going with the synergy of working with them well giving people the chance to step forward whatever their their particular skills are and minimizing their on our uh, impairments or our our you know whatever they are there might be a lack of social skills in us as professionals uh, or they might be not necessarily understanding what good quality research is until we shared that knowledge uh, we're all different and um, we all bring different but together we're stronger yeah and th there was so many fantastic stories of work that you you have done together and it sounds as though at times there have been some challenges um and I loved the description of of being radical um and wondered if you have a sense of of kind of what enabled you to be able to be radical and to kind of overcome some of the challenges that have have come up along the way I think for me one of the things about that is is searching for radical allies looking beyond the, the, the agencies or the organisation you're in, looking for, Rachel used the term critical friends. So we had Hanley, who was working with a national involved group right from the start, and she was our external critical friend, who's so wise and experienced and knowledgeable and would back us up and would give us advice. And having powerful, influential, wise people beyond your horizons, for me, that's always been really... But within your horizons as well, knowing who your chums are, who you whose shoulder you can cry on, 
or when you're stuck or you need a hand or you can't attend a meeting, you need somebody else, knowing there are people there who really believe in what you're doing so that they'll back you up and step in for you. Um, there's some of the things I've needed to survive. Um, I don't know about you, Rachel. Yeah, I, I, I kind of was always a bit radical. I, I, I kind of, I, I, I kind of had a reputation. I went to a special school, a very, very small special school, and, um, and I kind of was always like, I think just being me. I think my my life experience kind of just. It's a very odd experience to be at a special school and still not really fit in because I, I was kind of like. I, I was too fragile to do the things that other people could do, but I wasn't a permanent wheelchair user and things, so I never fitted in at all in, in that world. And I think that I sort of, I, quite early on, I kind of, after being sort of grumpy and teenage and stuff, I, I kind of realised that if the world was never really going to fit around me, so I was kind of just going to have to plough my own furrow, really, and I never really stopped. <laughs> To be honest, because I, I I don't really see what I do as being radical. People call me radical, but I just mostly it just seems like common sense to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's partly being assertive. Yeah, but yeah, and I yeah, and I guess that that can be a bit too edged, I guess. Um, but. Yeah, I've, I've... traveling, uh, for example, as your wheelchair pusher, I've just been in awe of the way that you've you've been able, you've made friends with people, you 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 engage with people in a way that you get where they're coming from, and that makes helps them to get where you're coming from. Um, yeah, I, I guess in, I, I guess I kind of a, a bit like now actually. I guess you know if you're going to invite me, then. I'm gonna have something to say, and if that's not okay, then really don't invite me. It's probably—I mean, that's probably as far as I get goes, really. Because it's like, well, you know, it—it it, just—it—it it doesn't occur to me to not use the voice that I have, hopefully in a useful way to other people, for other people. And I—I I actually can shut up and be quite good at listening, and and give other people space that is what I do I mean it, it's kind of what I'm known for but I think I'm but I think for me it has to be with purpose it has to there has to be a reason why we're doing it and I think so I, I think it you know I, I mean you know the kids I went to school with I mean you know when when you fed your best friend because they can't feed themselves for sort of five years <laughs> you know and you know that's you know then the need to sort of like go these people need a voice this needs to be how we do this it, it, that doesn't seem radical to me that just seems entirely sensible and then you know a lot of the kids I went to school with died as well and it's like you know I'm still here so I'm gonna do something with this because actually you know they didn't make it out of school and it feels it almost feels like a a responsibility to do something useful with that I suppose mm -hmm. if you if you spill it I don't know that sounds a bit that sounds very I don't know um um you know saintly like and I don't mean it like that at all but I mean I think you can't have those experiences and not end up going I need to do something useful with my life and it needs to be useful for other people as well so 
so inspiring, so uh, to articulate it like that, Rachel, it's really great to hear. People keep saying to me, Annie, we've known you for ages, and there's still loads of things we don't know about. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's one question that we have left um, that we've been thinking about as a group and having conversations about there might be people listening along as well that are wondering the same. Where do you think that this type of work is going and what do you think needs to happen next? I think we're at a real tipping point in society, aren't we now? This is such an extraordinary time that we're at and, and things could go from shit to even more shit really rapidly. Or we could gather ourselves together as human beings and realise that somehow we've got to bring ourselves back from the precipice of, of, um, of nationalism, of climate change, of, of, um, of economic collapse, of, of pandemonium collapse. And so, and I would like to think that community psychology could be part of the, 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 the stepping us back from the brink. I think I think it's really interesting talking to trainees. I was tra I was with the Exeter Year Threes today, and a real sort of mixture in there about how exhausted they feel, how the pandemic and the complexities and some of the constraints of the way that they can do their research leaves them feeling um, it's challenge. It's a challenge, and others are some of the same people equally feeling this is a real time of transition and of hope, and it's at times of transition when things can. Can shift and, and good can happen so I think we're all feeling volatile um, and for me I think community psychology the commissioners need to see that there are new ways that they can provide services and that community psychology ideas about going with the synergies about engaging with the voluntary sector mutual help peer support community building community resilience there's a really nice conference that BPS community psychologist section are putting on in a couple of weeks, isn't there? That's about co-producing, uh, with, with promoting social justice with young people. Um, so I think, I think I'd like to see community psychology really rattling the cage of, of how um, health social care provision is, is, is delivered and joining up with the voluntary sector, really strongly joining up with the voluntary sector. I'd like to see good ways of communicating to commissioners that that's what we can offer and we you know going beyond that humility not just doing it but talking about it and writing about it and and uh, uh, there are some some fantastic examples i know you'll be talking to people as well in south wales for instance um in london music and change there are so many good examples and they need a platform it's great you're providing it and um Joining the dots, just joining the dots between the various different movements for social justice. Rachel and I, it's another whole other conversation, but joining the dots with them um, with climate change as well and, and seeing that climate climate harm um, is an as, is part of an extractive, exploitative colonial system. Um, and, and, and seeing that if we can work together in new and different ways, we can build a better world where we will all uh, enjoy the benefits of, of of shared justice, of equality, of of a, of a world in which what we value is well-being rather than what we value with money and profit and, and stuff. Um, so I'd like community psychology to be part of that, tipping us in that direction rather than in the collapsing direction. 
don't know, Rachel, does that fit with some of the conversations we've had? Yeah, I think I think I think there's a couple of. I mean, in terms of particularly this kind of work, I think my own views. I'm I'm, I'm not sure structural and sort of you know sort of governmental or, or kind of um sort of those sort of structural funding support. I I, I think. It is, it's very different now to how it was when we were at our high, and it is, and, and not in a good way, I don't think. So I almost feel like we, we might need to find new ways of doing that that are less dependent on those things, because I, I can't see that changing for yeah. some time. But one thing that struck me today, and it's, I'm not, and I haven't, because I, I think it's really hard to involve people well, particularly if you don't already know them, in, in this world that we're living in but something that struck me today is I, I think we are at some level we are going to be dealing with this situation for a long time and I, I know I have and I think lots of us I think we're all going to have to stop waiting for it all to get better mm. and actually start working from now that mm. this is a now that we need to embrace in the most positive way we can find. And I and don't get me wrong, I, I completely, because I, I think that is really, really challenging. But I think we've probably, most of us have done a year of thinking, oh, maybe this will just yeah. be better. And I'm I think it will be better, but I don't think it will go back to how it was. I mean, lots of ways I don't want it to go back to how it was, but I'm not sure that we're going to get a say in some of that. And I do think that maybe what we all need to do is from now, like this minute, we need to start going, okay, what can we do within this context? Don't get me wrong. I know if you're training and that, it must have been an absolute nightmare. I'm not at all underestimating what nightmare this has all been, and you know, I, at all. But I think, I feel like we've been waiting and maybe yeah. we can't afford to be waiting anymore yeah. and we need to do something. I don't know what that something looks like because I know this is really hard to do, you know, through these systems. And, and this is as much about me as anybody else. But I feel like we kind of got to start waiting and try and make the best of this in the best possible way. Because otherwise, I think we're all going to be waiting for the rest of our lives. And I don't think that's going to help. And we need to, we need to own our agency, don't we? Yeah. And whatever power and privilege that we've got. Like you guys are doing by, by bringing community psychologists together and sharing this with the world. You are stepping outside your comfort zones and doing something different already. You're... you're, you're you are stretching yourselves, and I really commend you for, for that initiative. Um, but it is hard. I mean, you know, all those things that you were saying about not sort of stepping out of that role. But actually, you know, the way we did that was, you know, you had a cup of tea with the people, you know, you made tea for the people that used to come in the room, and so did I. And so, did, you know, so did we all, you know, that, you know, those ways of, of being human as opposed to being a person that does this absolutely are enhanced by our social activity towards yeah. each other and that has radically changed yeah. and I can't see that ever going entirely but certainly not for a number of years going back may, to what it is and it may be that we will need new political processes yeah. I'm really um, encouraged by the um 
the idea of citizens' assemblies, new yeah. political structures whereby people have a more participatory voice in democracy. Um, and, it, and it might be that, 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 that some of those realities might be that for people like me, it might be that actually... I do have to take a step back from those things a bit because I can't hold all of those things that, you know, trying to, you know, make sure I've got food and my mum's got food and my dad's all right in his care home and, and actually keeping myself safe because my condition's rare and it doesn't appear on any of the lists and I no idea if I'll get a vaccine, but I, you know, people like me, you know, you end up in hospital with respiratory disease disease and even but we're not any you know all of those things become incredibly complex and difficult and we're all managing those things and it might be that it is a different dynamic because it might be that the people you know that were traditionally the people that we need to engage with which would be people like me it's not actually easy for us to engage at the moment mm. And it might be that we do need to think about things differently. What that difference looks like, I can't answer. But what I what I know is we need to be thinking about that now and stop waiting for it all to change. That that's the bit that I think is really important. It, we need to start dealing with those things now. Mm. And and I, I I don't have the answers to that because this isn't a world that any of us are used to. But it, it is going to be challenging, I think. But but we need to really start thinking about it, I think. Sorry, that's slightly depressing. No. <laughs> you, need to re you need to reorder this. <laughs> I think one of the really important things that gets talked about with climate, addressing climate change is staying with the trouble, not pretending that things are other than they are. Things are tough and things are changing. Stay with the trouble, feel the grief, feel the, feel the complexity, but and yet find the regal space to be creative about doing things differently while holding on to the principles and values. And who, like you say, Rachel, who knows what it looks like? But we didn't know what focus would look like, did we? No. We don't know. We don't know. But we've got to be, we've got to be committed to change. Seems to be, as you say. And you guys are the future. You young ones. Yeah, <laughs> you, you guys do it. Don't feel that young. <laughs> well, well, I think there is, there is, there is a not that you guys do it, although there is a bit of that. But can we help you? You know, you are the future in a way that you know. I'm retired now. I'm, I'm quite a bit older than Rachel, but you are the future. But still, there may be ways in which you can draw on our help when you're thinking about about what doing it differently. Get with it now. Uh, and again, that's what you're doing, aren't you? You're trawling around and talking to us and having conversations and pulling out from it any nuggets. There'll be loads we've said that isn't any use to you, but your job is to pull out the nuggets of what is useful that you can thread together with the pearls of wisdom that you're getting from other people and then giving it back to us. And then we'll say, you know, yeah, we can help you do this or do it that way. Or did you know this person who's also thinking in that way? And yeah, together we, we push, we push for or we pull back from the precipice, or we let ourselves down the precipice with holding onto the ropes, whatever metaphor we might use. <laughs> well, I, I know I won't be alone in, in saying that I've taken so much food, food for thought away from the conversations this evening. And um, I'm reluctant to say we have to finish there because I, I could talk to you both all evening, but um, <laughs> we, we do to. have to finish. <laughs> 
But just all that is left to say really is just a, a huge, huge thank you to both of you. It's been really fantastic uh, to have you here this evening and just to hear some really wonderful stories of amazing work that you've both both done. So thank you so much. Um, and I'm sure that everybody listening in will have enjoyed it as much as we have. So thank you very much, both of you. Thank you. Look forward to hearing how the conversation develops. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We are Discovering Community Psychology. We're also over on Twitter at Discovering Community Psychology. And we'd love to hear from you if you have any ideas or thoughts on today's or any of our other episodes. So please do get in touch.